Welcome to episode 42 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. It's a show where we talk all things aviation, especially for those who are starting their aviation journey in midlife, like us. Uh, This podcast is really just about sharing our experiences and sharing the uh, greater community's experiences as a midlifer. Doesn't matter if you're a student pilot, a seasoned veteran, or just an enthusiast who may want to learn. We're, we're glad you're with us. My name is Ben, occasionally referred to as the Sage and never by my children. I'm an instrument rated pilot here in the Atlanta metropolitan area. I started flying when I was 48 years old and currently working on my commercial rating. As always, I have my trusty co hosts. We have Brian a private pilot deep in the heart of Music Row in Nashville. How's it going, Brian? Good, Ben. How are you today? Uh, I just, I, I learned something more about you every day, you know, like um, I had no idea that uh, that you were working on your commercial. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not lately, but we'll talk that's about That's my that, dig right? at you, but yeah. That's exactly right. Good to right. see you, man. Good to see you. <laughs> Glad you're here. Also, from the left coast, the west coast, the best coast, sport pilot extraordinaire, our friend Ted Flysport. Hey, Ted. Hey, how you doing? How's the egg? Uh, the egg is very good. Nice. Uh, it's a good week for the egg. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those in the audio <laughs> world, we're this what, is a live show. The weeks are we're, good for the egg. Sorry, we'll we'll talk over uh, talk over Ben here. Okay, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> He's had a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a good week for the egg. We'll talk about that. It's a good week. Good. Well, I can't wait to hear more about it. Uh, so this is a live show. We broadcast on YouTube every Tuesday night, at least that's the plan, to at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can go visit our uh, channel, our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Midlife Pilot Podcast. Uh, we have a live chat. We've got a pretty active chat tonight, looks like. Um, we, we love getting the questions and, the, and reading the comments. So, um, and you can get this, uh, podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your, uh, podcast from. So let's, uh, take off here. Excuse the expression. I want to see how everybody's doing. Brian, <laughs> start with you tonight and next yeah. week we'll go with Ted first, but what are you up to? You had some fun tonight on the radios. <laughs> yeah, I was telling you about that. Um, should have known you would have brought it back up. No, I just, I, I did get chastised, uh, by the local, uh, Delta controller here today for, uh, stepping on people, but there is, uh, a dead zone where you just can't, there's an interference and you just can't really tell <laughs> that you're stepping on people. And, um, so, uh, he was pretty grumpy. Um, but when, by the time I got in there, I realized he was doing, you know, real work. He had jets and small planes and squeeze plays and all the things going on. And then when we got uh, down, I realized he was on his own and running ground and giving clearances and, you know, he was just doing everything. I can't even imagine. So yeah, um, he, he's traditionally pretty grumpy, but, um, but today I, I realized that he was justified. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I just uh, brought the, brought the plane down and, and, um, and uh, gonna do. I'm hoping to go on Thursday if the weather holds up to the Swift fly-in in Athens, Tennessee, which is going on I think Wednesday through Sunday or Saturday. Um, and you know, there's a small part of my brain, a uh, small part of already a small bit of real estate, but um, the I love the Swift aircraft. I just I'm. I'm mesmerized by them. And after getting my tailwheel, and I, I, I don't know, I, I just feel like that's something I really want to get closer to. And so the idea that there's a, a fly in that's, uh, it's kind of a bit in between you and I really. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. It's just like, I, I've got to go see them all, you know, it, cause that's where the, uh, the museum, there's a swift museum there and all that. I've been meaning to do that anyway. So I just thought what better way to sort of satisfy my swift curiosity than to go during this fly in and see what's going on. And maybe I can beg somebody to, uh, take me up in one, uh, 
I just, I just think they're the coolest planes. So I, um, I, I do. I, I like them a lot. I, I agree with you. It's um, my fear of going to a thing like that is it might be the most expensive weekend or day that I've ever had. Cause I want to buy one. Yeah. They're not crazy expensive, but they're, 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 they're the kind of thing where almost like Cessna 172s or something in the sense that it's like, yes, you can find one cheap <laughs> and right. you know, it's going to need a lot of things. And then you can find some that are so tricked out that it's, kind of insane um all glass panel ifr capable you know swift yeah 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 uh but they're just i don't know they're just so cool so anyway i'm thinking about doing that on on thursday and then you know otherwise just been doing all the things i'm still recovering from my marfa trip and i did publish a video about that and then um I've been kind of getting caught up on all the life that i uh decided to put aside to do that trip came back to earth after landing on the moon yes Yes. And YouTube has uh, said that it keeps putting a warning about Apollo misinformation or something. So I must be doing something right. Well, you're talking about landings and you mentioned the moon. So that takes care of both. Yeah. Right. But yeah. What about, what about you, Ted? Oh, well, you know, most weeks have been adventurous. I'm trying to squeeze out the, uh, the flights before the weather really changes here, but Mm. Uh, I did a couple of things that were interesting. I landed at my first airport that used Multicom, which is, you know, you've got your tower frequency, you've got your your Unicom or your CTOP frequency, and then you've got no frequency listed. It's small airport, wild, wild west. So it was a, a private air park. There was a mechanic at it. And I, I had to dig back into my memory and I, I thought Multicom was a thing. And I looked it up and like, oh yeah, that's, that is like, the default that you use in those cases, but I've never had to think about that since it being on the test. Mm. Uh, what were you going to this airport for? To see a mechanic? Oh, I was dropping off a uh, fellow uh, pilot who does not fly an egg uh, uh, for some, so he could get his, his work done there. And then we just, we flew back home together. Um, then I went for lunch and uh, was at a, bigger towered airport and went to the restaurant there and I saw some people struggling getting through the gate and which I noticed there wasn't a sign on it that says what the code is to get back through the gate back to the airport. And I, I'd asked the, the, uh, um, waitress, you know, Hey, what's the code? She gave me the code. So when those people walked in, I said, Hey, just so you know, here's the, here's the code for that. And they're like, Hey, can we just sit with you? And I was sitting alone. So I had two people sit with me. Um, they introduced, introduced themselves as UFO pilots. That is the, uh, uh, United flying octogenarians. They're <laughs> well into their octogenarian age. Wow. I noticed that the UFO has a section for junior UFOs, which means you're 75 to 80. <laughs> so a junior octogenarian, that's a, that's a pretty cool crowd to be in. They had a, a new plan they'd been building for the last 17 years. That and, is so awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then my, uh, I'll show a final adventure here. I got a little video clip for you. Oh. Clear active taxi back from way to Risky Bravo. You did not see that. I definitely did not see that. Twin Taxi back. Risky Bravo. You did not see that one either. <laughs> I certainly did not see it. <laughs> so <laughs> I was practicing on, uh, at my local airport and, uh, th- this guy, uh, was flying a tail dragger and they may not have been the prettiest of landings. I was the only <laughs> one there that saw him. Uh, I made sure to clip his tail number because no reason to get that yeah. out, but I thought that was a great little experience because I could see That's myself awesome. doing the same. Everybody's, everybody's united, uh, to, to yeah. <laughs> we're all in the same yeah. in the same boat yeah ben how about you uh you flew this week i know it's uh first time in 20 days um when i got back to the house my wife looked at me she said i can tell you flew you don't look <laughs> grumpy anymore so no i just went in the um rental airplane the club the club plane and went up into the mountains and just um had uh we'd, we'd done a hike about a month ago and i marked it on my garment pilot out and then where there were some nice waterfalls. So then I went back and did a couple of orbits around it and took a few pictures and headed back. So it was only about an hour's worth of flying, but it was enough to uh, get my mind back in the right place. 
That's perfect. Uh, yeah. Flying, Brian, um, I keep forgetting my headphones in my plane and the club has a couple of, has a pair of DCs with no ear pads. And after about, um, about 10 minutes, it it's paint. It's not uncomfortable. It's, it's downright painful. So it's hard to hear over the radio as it is. So, uh, after an hour of flying, I was, I was ready to be back on the ground with those headsets. Yeah. So what, what is the club plane that you were flying? It's a Cessna 172, which is qualified as a TAA technically advanced aircraft. It's an N model with a 180 horsepower engine. So what you call the little engine. Yeah. <laughs> what is yeah. it? 160? <laughs> no, it's 180. Oh, it's a 180. Yeah. So it's got this STC for the 180. It's STC. It's actually from the same company as that did my 182. Does it have the, um, is the oil door, can you see where the old one was and the new one is? No, they did uh, a new cowling. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. pretty school that I trained in was a 172 that had that upgrade and it really helps. Yeah. What's the uh, difference in the oil door? It's um, it's amazing to me how much lighter it is than the 182 when it comes to landing. It's a mm. huge difference. So, how was your landing? I, I mean, I literally have, I have not had a bad landing in that airplane, and I'm knocking on wood. I may <laughs> never fly it again after saying that. Yeah, but they, they've all been. I mean, it's easy to slow it down, and the nose isn't heavy, which is what I'm used to in my airplane. Mm-hmm. So it, it just comes a little bit easier based on what I've been landing in the past. Well, so. there's one way to guarantee a bad landing. That's well, two ways. One is to talk about it. And the other is to have a passenger with you. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I've had one of our uh, supporters, Nate, um, Nathan Ballard is, uh, is the CFI in this club. And so we, he's, he's actually witnessed me landed a few times. He's actually videoed it as well. Um, but yeah, I, I'll, if I can bring one dull geek with me, it'll guarantee me a, a bad landing because it seems like every time he's in the plane with me. We, uh, look at that joining us. One final shout out here before we, uh, move into the show. Uh, <laughs> OG midlife pilot, Chris Moran in here. Who's that guy? Yeah. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Never uh, heard of him. That's good. It's always good to have Chris around. Uh, Absolutely. We, uh, we, still talk on the phone, you know? we still talk on the phone as, as regular humans, but none of that's released to the internet, which is probably for the best. You um, hang up first. No, you hang up first. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, well, let's get into, uh, we got a lot to cover, man. We do. So, uh, let's get into it. So we thought, um, Chris, speaking of Chris, uh, he and Brian, uh, earlier in their podcasting had scratched the surface on this or maybe take a different uh, tact. Um, there, there'd been a call out just talking about, what do you want it? How do you, you're on the couch, you have zero hours. What do you do to get started to get your private pilot's license? And that's, we wanted to touch on some of those. Um, you're a midlifer. Where do you start? What, what do you expect to do? And we thought we'd, we'd start chatting about that. And uh, I, I'm going to just, we'll just do a little round robin here and we can talk about maybe some of the very first things that you do before you even go to a flight school, such as, Getting your medical. Yeah. So let me start as the, as the sport pilot here, which is uh, you don't necessarily have to get your medical before you, before you start flying, but boy, you, you should research the medical and what's required to, to get a medical and make sure that you qualify Uh, uh, mental health issues, especially ADHD, uh, complex depression. Wait, I'm not a doctor. Um, And uh, uh, certain forms of diabetes, um, are examples of things where getting a medical is very difficult. There, there's, you could cancel you could have a kidney stone. I had a kidney stone, kidney stone in 2000, which was 18 years from the day I applied for my medical or 17 years. And it didn't cause a problem, but it could have caused a problem. So there's a lot yes. of things out there that can bite you. Um, and, and one big recommendation I would make is go to AOPA's website. They have a, a very extensive review of, of, of medical things, but that, that cost me in my training, not getting that medical done before I started. Yeah. At least, at least be aware of what your personal uh, issues may be with that before you get started. 
I would, and, I mean, I would go harder on that. Honestly, I would just say, don't even think about it. Don't even waste any of your time. Do not pass go. You're going to get it or you're not. Um, yeah. The only thing, if you, if you go and, and, and you, if you, if you take five lessons and then go get it, or I don't know, whatever you would do otherwise, it's just going to be a heartbreak. I mean, you might as well, ju- I mean, ultimately we're all agreeing here, just get your medical done first, but yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, when I got my medical, it was the first place I had gone since coming out of the, it was like the first building that I'd gone in since COVID had kind of calmed down. <laughs> I was, it was the first thing that I was going to do, but I did that before my, uh, first lesson. I didn't do a discovery flight. I just, I already knew like I'm, I'm going hard in the paint on this whole thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I would say, say I, yeah. I agree with that sentiment, but I would even go harder to say, just don't even bother doing anything uh, <laughs> until you know what that is. Now, if you already, I wouldn't you know, do the research because if you already know quite obviously that you have things that are going to eliminate you that are not interpretive dance, right? Like it's just kind of like, I know, then you can at least go ahead and start pointing towards sport pilot or, or, you know, something. So absolutely. Yeah. Or, or know that you're, you're going to have an adventure on your hands. That, yeah. So, you know, and, and just to, to put a finer point on it and, and we can move on from it. I was running half marathons and full marathons up until about 2017. I was not on any medications whatsoever. Um, but that kidney stone eight or 17 years prior, I had to go get a bunch of records. I was ready to solo while I was still working on getting my medical and I couldn't solo until after I got it. And it took it three is a tragic thing seeing when you see around the airport, you see students you're like, why haven't you soloed? And you right. realize, oh, they're kind of hanging around, having a lesson every week just to stay fresh, hoping their that, medical that was comes me. through. I and, think I soloed yeah. at 40 hours because it, this took so long. So that's why I'm a little bit more passionate about doing the medical. There's a lot of discussion in the chat. Do your discovery yeah. flight first and the medical, which is fine. I, I don't, yeah. th- that's fine too. You need to see if you like it or not. But um, if you have any inkling that you are going to like it, uh, I would go hit that medical pretty quickly. Yeah. Cool. So the other thing you want to do before, eh, either before or at the time of discovery flight, I think it's before is your budget and time expectations. Right. And I mean, you know, it'd be good to Budgets, know your budget, man, just send what it, you're getting you into. Know, worry about yeah. the money later. You know, you can always declare bankruptcy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think though, um, people don't talk about this much, but I do think that it's a good thing to have it clear with your spouse or your partner, um, you know, or whatever, you know, just, it's kind of like, if this thing takes, if, if I can get my medical and I can get signed up and all, if all these things align, <laughs> I'm going to be likely, uh, less present than I'd like to be for a period of time. So, um, uh, you know, having alignment, cause I, I know that there's a lot of people I've heard of a lot of people that have had, um, you know, some resistance, uh, you know, they've kind of dove, they've kind of jumped into it and then maybe they didn't have their ducks in a row with their spouse and, and managing that expectation about how much time and energy it takes. And ultimately, whether it's the spouse job, whatever, uh, yeah. I think it's what you said, Ted is it's, uh, have, have a realistic, um, generous outlook on how much time, energy, focus, money, uh, everything that it's going to take. Don't let those things be discouraging. Cause I believe what you're saying, Ben also makes sense where it's just, you kind of have to just sort of send it a little bit. Um, yeah. but, uh, there's no perfect wisdom here. And as Todd is saying here in the chat, you know, well, no, we gotta, we gotta wait a minute here because you won't ever fly. Todd, but. Yeah. Todd's got some <laughs> great comments here. Uh, okay, yeah. Don't do a budget. Go. You won't fly. Uh, I definitely agree. Uh, I, I don't count my flights for that reason. Um, I, I think, you know, uh, Ben and I talked about, about this the other day and, Go ahead and run your numbers and everything else, but 10 to 20 grand is probably what you're going to be into. We can argue, we can look at specific numbers, everything else. That's just a ballpark of, of what you're talking. And, and when you're having the wife discussion, this happened literally this, this on uh, Saturday, my wife and I, we go to festivals all over the city. Right. And she is really into pottery. Um, she likes these little dishes and stuff. And she has these several, these, potterers that attend all these festivals that she's become friends with. And when I showed up, 
she's like, oh, I'm going to get another piece. And I'm like, you can buy all you want. And, and the <laughs> ladies looked at my wife like, who is this guy? She goes, yeah, his, his hobby's a lot more expensive than mine. That's why yes. he's letting me do this because I don't ask him about his expenses. So you got to kind of build in that credit with a, a significant other. Yeah. Todd rings in here again. Uh, he was going to do an online course of how to slow walk your partner into your life as a pilot. And <laughs> yeah, I, there's some, there's some truth to that. Talking about yeah. the time though. Um, I thought I might be getting into it for a lesson a week. No big deal. Take part of a Saturday or a Sunday. No big deal. Now <laughs> the airport's 45 minutes away. You're going to leave another 45 minutes before that. So you've got plenty of time for traffic and to, uh, you know, check out the plane. Then you're going to have 45 minutes afterward, plus your, your post flight flight debrief. It's a pretty good five plus hour chunk. Just, just for an hour and a half flight with an instructor. And then you need to be doing that at least twice a week. At minimum. Yeah. Um, and talking about getting the spousal approval, uh, another pro tip, <laughs> don't take your wife up when you're doing lessons, especially when the lesson is steep turns and she's sitting in the back seat. <laughs> That's not the way to introduce them to it. So I was hoping to show them how her how safe it was, but uh, it it kind yeah. of backfired. I did I did something equally as bad. I had her come up uh, in the back seat. It was you know ninety five degrees, right? And I was just learning how to land, and so she's back there getting all bounced around, and and it's uh, a sweat box. Um, so yeah. Um, and the good news is if they survive that, then, you know, they're going to be, <laughs> yeah. the for, for <laughs> everything's better. Everything's better. Um, I, I totally agree with you. The, the discovery flights could be critical. Um, you know, um, choosing a CFI is, uh, so, so what is a discovery flight for a, for a brand new student? So an instructor is going to sit in the right seat, which is typically the co-pilot seat and the left seat, you're going to sit in it. And that is the pilot seat. And he is going to, he or she, let's be clear on that, is going to um, let you handle a lot of the aspects of, of steering the plane and flying the plane. And um, you're going to go fly around for an hour. And he's going to show you some different, or he or she's going to show you different things about the airplane. And they're, um, they're going to tr try to get you to fly as much as possible. Yep. And to make you feel like you flew as much as possible, it is very much a confidence boost and a bit of a sales tactic. And so you have a great time and then you'll learn that you weren't actually flying most of that time. <laughs> they definitely tell you, you know, yeah, you, you, you're doing great. God, you did you all of this. this. You're yeah. a natural. No, yeah. um, a discovery flight is exactly what it is. I don't think we need to spend too much time on it, but I mean, Google it. Uh, yeah. There's a gazillion things. But it's a it's, it's your chance to, to, to try out the school and the instructor. You do multiple of them. Which, if you, which is if you a good like segue. <clears throat> Choosing a CFI is there's no magic to it. It's you're paying for a service and you should be able to get along, but you also need to know that they have to lead you in a direction and you're going to have to take instruction from them. Yes. So there is that dance that you have to do with them. But, um, you know, there's, there's always going to be red flags out there that are going to, you know, they're milking you for time and, you know, they're not, they're maybe just uh, punching a clock and building time to go to the airlines and they want to, don't want to go half the time, whatever the case may be. But, you know, if you've got friends that fly, um, get recommendations for CFIs. What do you guys think? Yeah. Uh, looking for a sport pilot instructor was difficult. And I kind of canvassed out to people I knew, people of people of people that I knew. And then they eventually gave me the recommendation of who I went to and when you're not around the aviation world, it's, it is a little more difficult. Hopefully you're sitting here listening to this podcast. So hopefully you can find somebody that knows your local flying community. Well, I, I would like to just add that it's good. It's a good idea, especially as a midlife pilot, when you're going through the process of getting the medical setting up discovery flights with maybe a couple of different instructors at different schools and all that, that sort of exploratory part of it. Um, I think that what is critically important that I 
think more people, I wish I, I would have been, I, I had this attitude going into it, but I don't think that I didn't have any reinforcement that I really needed to double down on this, which is to say, you have to start with a mindset of, I own this process. I, uh, I am paying for this. And I, it's real easy for people to be sort of overwhelmed by the whole thing and be hyper deferential to those who know more than they do or have yes. more experience than they do. But ultimately one thing that's different, I think with midlifers versus maybe younger, younger people is we've been through different business arrangements or different interpersonal dealings or things. And we know perhaps better than younger people because of our what <laughs> supposed wisdom <laughs> that uh that what it is to have ownership over a process and the accountability of that and the responsibility of that and if you don't know you know it's like if you're going to build a house i'm you know you may not be a carpenter you may not be a plumber you may not do hvac but you're going to have to learn some things about those things and learn how to manage those parties and it's all on you. You're the one writing the check. You're the one uh, who's counting on these results. And so I think that um, one thing that, again, you know, nobody told me uh, to begin with, and I've always told other people that are friends of mine that started training, you know, is you have to own your training that will yeah. um, feel uncomfortable at first because you don't feel like you have a right to, or the knowledge to, but you have to do it. And so I think right away, get into that practice of owning the process. Yeah. Uh, Mark Wendell Geek put up a comment that he should have fired his, his CFI way before he did wish he'd owned the process more. And you know, that, that can be true. It's, it's hard to remember who the customer is in that case. Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, the power dynamic is weird. On the other hand, I, what I found was it was great flying with a second CFI and a third CFI. And uh, when I was into my training and get different advice from, from the different ones, they, you know, have different theories on how to do it. And it, you know, that can, that can come in, in handy. I think somebody that's sitting on the couch, that's never been inside a, the fence of a general aviation airport, your advice, your analogy with the home builder and having to learn that process, I think is very relatable and, and just perfect the situation because your spidey senses are going to go up when you think that you're getting taken advantage of when you get into the process and, as you said, you've got to own it, but you also have to know that if you're not getting a particular maneuver or if you're not doing something well, those instructors are going to try to help you get to where you need to be, but you need to stop making excuses and own your own issues and, and work to fix them. Yeah. And what Todd's saying here about, uh, which my CFI had more of a plan. Good advice might be, does your guy have a syllabus? That's exactly right. When I, when I went into my training, um, I learned that the school had, the back end of the sporties, the sort of school side of the sporties curriculum has a very detailed um, syllabus with clear demarcations for completed sort of things and stage checks and, you know, all this stuff. And they had never used it. Um, and I, I said, I want to do that. We're following that, you know, and, and I think that that's a huge thing. Uh, thanks for mentioning that Todd, because what it does is it, it takes the competing subjectivities out of it. It's there's a sanctioned body that has outlined, you know, a well-groomed path for this. And now you guys are teaming up to meet this sort of third party uh, thing, as opposed to what people's opinions are about what the best thing is to do. And I, yeah, I fully yeah. agree. If you can have a, uh, an agreed upon syllabus, then that is massive and keep track of your own requirements, keep track of, you know, don't, don't make them keep track of what you need. And as you get deeper into it, uh, you know, we're just talking about how to get started, but I think that right. ultimately it's just about owning the process and then managing that process and staying with it. I, I, you know, I came into every lesson twice as prepared. Um, I was, if, if I felt like things were straying, I would tell the instructor, like, what about this? I feel like we need to be doing this. And, you know, so you got to own uh, it. Yeah. I would have done better if there's a little more structure so that I, yeah. I was getting better feedback in that way as well. It would have worked better for my brain. Didn't realize and, that till I was and done. And that though. structure helped me process my task because it, uh, some of the tasks build upon others. You learn turns around a point and you learn all these different maneuvers to help yourself in the pattern. And if we just started doing pattern work, it, 
you know, I needed that structure. The, the other point that I think is very important that somebody that's never flown before, you said, you touched on it briefly, Ted, and I just wanted to put an exclamation point on it. Minimum, you have to fly two times a week. I, I set um, three times a week as my goal. One lesson would inevitably get canceled due to weather, but there were yep. quite a few times we did get three and we progressed so much further yep. by adding that one extra lesson in the week. It, it's because you're not spending any time going over what you've already learned. It's all still fresh. Um, if you're not in a position to fly two to three times a week, then you may want to wait until you get to that point. Yeah. So Evan brings up a point here and then move on just a little bit. Um, uh, did anyone do part 141 rather than 61? The problem with 141 for a midlife pilot is that it tends to be a lot more structured, maybe too much for a, a midlife pilot. It definitely works. What I have seen and uh, is uh, I know there's a, a school in town, not that I went to, that uh, that did it as 141, but they were as flexible as possible on the 141. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They were only really using and because they were signed off to be able to do it as 141. And that was a great way to go that you're not, you're not kind of literally coming to the classroom every day type of 141 program. And, you know, if the weather changed or if they needed more, that was fine. You just did it. It wasn't that, you know, very rigid program. Well, so Evan's putting in a lot of great feedback in here. Yeah. Um, and well, he's I just coming back say, from a great hike. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I just want to say um, now, this is not traditional advice on how to get the flying done. <laughs> I'm not saying everybody should do this, but I think Evan had the long game uh, really mastered in his aviation path because what he did is he had a son <laughs> and then he raised that son. Uh, to be an adult. And then, uh, then his son uh, became a a flight instructor. And then he had his kid train him. Like this is, this is, he didn't do his primary training with, with, uh, with his son, Sam, which I was teasing about in the, in the chat earlier. But but that is, that is definitely the long game, which is 20 years ago, (laughs) you started this process so that he could be your, your commercial instructor. Yeah. So, so um, I think it's important to mention here because we have been talking about it for the person that's zero hours. um, Part 141 versus what we, most of us do is part 61 and part 61 training just means you go on your own time basis. There'll still be a syllabus. A lot of the flight schools will have syllabus for you, syllabi for you. Um, but there's no time restrictions on there. So, but part 141 is a very structured program. A lot of the 141 schools are a classroom environment at an airport and you're flying two or three times a day. Um, so, and it's, it, it is often very expensive to do it that route. Yeah. You're, everything is prepackaged. So the price is what the price is, what the price is. So, so. once you have your instructor, you've logged your discovery flight, but let's just say, between that and your next flight, what are the things you need to do? Some of these are things that I think were things I was worried about first, which was what should I do for a ground school? Does the, does the airport have their own and they require you to go through it? Do they recommend one online? Do they require one online? What do I do here? What, what books do I need to get? Right. And the first thing is the, when you go to the discovery flight, they'll tell you, Hey, it's okay. What you need to do is go use Gold Seal, go use Sporties, go use M0A, whatever program. Please go check those out as well. They may not have a big preference, but check them out. See which style works best for you. Absolutely. Um, and then the next thing is the is what books to get, right? Right. And the, the secret is you don't actually need any books, especially to start, right? Like PDFs abound. Uh, the P hack, the pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge. 
nice big thick how to fly book PDFs on FAA's site. So just FAAP hack. It's all you have to Google to find it. And then well, the isn't there another flying reference book? <laughs> no, I can't remember. I thought there was a second um, one from the FAA, and I just can't think what it is. Uh, airplane flying handbook. AFH. That's right. So, uh, for a yeah. second, I thought you were talking I wasn't about setting it up. Yeah. I thought, I was like, yeah. yeah, there's there's no. a whole other thing, Ted, that's yeah. super important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, yeah. And so, yeah, there's the four things. There's PHAC, AFH, airport flying handbook, or airplane flying handbook, the FARS, which are the legal things, which are all online. I don't yeah. know what the best way to, to, Find those there's, are, there, there's the rules of the road and how to drive yeah. on the road. And that's basically and, what those delineations are. But ultimately, I yeah. think what we're talking about is the knowledge part of the whole process. And yes, you have to do the knowledge test. Um, the word of advice there would be, um, and most pilots know this, but if you're just thinking about it, it may not occur to you. Uh, don't wait to take that test. Try to get it the done test. in the earlier part of your training. Don't wait until, um, it's too late. There are people that end up, um, delaying that and delaying it and delaying it. And then it becomes a monkey on their back while they're starting to prepare for check ride. And that is not what you want. You want to have that done well ahead of time. I think I've heard of that more at 141 schools where either they require it before you start or none of their students have it done the day before the check ride. I know that my school, and it seems like a lot of schools kind of the tradition is that you get it done before you solo. You, you take that written test at that point. There's no requirement uh, for it, but that seems to be. There's a pre-solo written test. Uh, I'm talking about the, the real, yeah, the formal. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, my, my DPE said, um, if you haven't taken the written, I'm not going to schedule a check ride, which I understand, <laughs> you know, I did mine pretty early on. Um, I, I, I did too. Yeah. I, it's, it's sad to say, but there's nothing you're going to learn in the airplane. That's going to have a question on that test. You, you, you're not, you don't have to go fly for a little bit to understand what the written information is about. So you get I think the that's out of the way. But I disagree with you on that because I didn't, I didn't, I think I needed some, some context for it. Uh, you know, knowing- and I guess it's easy for me to look back on it now and yeah. it seems like it would be school. that way. I didn't need no school. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, you know, my motto in high school was two O and go. So that's probably <laughs> tells you all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then later uh, it was one nine and then it was one eight and then that was fine. Yeah. 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 So, so anyway, Expect to do your written sometime between either right before you start, certainly by the time you've soloed. Legally, you only need to do it before your check ride. For sure. But I think there's a strong recommendation to do it, you know, by solo time. At the Absolutely. Latest, Absolutely. And then, and this, okay, what's next? What then what happens? So what happens in those first lessons? What does it feel like? First flight lessons? Yeah. Let's say like what, like one hour through five hours. Yeah. Or one through 20, one through 10, oh. one through 45. Okay. Right. Depending. Um, but ahead, so man. the lessons are going to be 1.2 to 1.6 hours. So we're in that range of flying time, Four right? Lessons. Give or take. But what does it feel like? Like it's uh drinking a terrible bar hose. Chris. Yeah. Drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. It's your, most instructors are going to teach you climbs, descents, turns, just the very basic aerodynamics of uh, navigating an airplane. And what did it feel like to you, Ben? Say again? What did it feel like to you? Uh, It felt like heaven. (laughs) I I just, I, I, I couldn't take it all in. It wasn't. I, I, it was, it was overwhelming. Um, I, I didn't want the lessons to end. I, I was just amazed by it. I, from about hour five to about 20, I was like, my brain will not figure this out. I'm not, there, there is no way that, that it's ever going to become natural about flying this. I'm, I'm banking to the right. And I, my reaction is to bank further to the right. That doesn't, why can't I program my brain to, to do this? 
so I had, I had a bunch of. So let me ask you this struggle prior to yeah. your first it, lesson. Teddy you ever flew in a, a generally aviation airplane. I had. Okay. Brian, yeah. did you, what's that? Have you flown in a GA airplane prior to taking your first lesson? Um, not in many, many, many years. And well, right. That'd be 20 years for me. Yeah. It, I, I have several friends that have planes and have been kind of mentors to me. And I knew going up with them that this was what I wanted to do. So when I got that opportunity, I, I was absorbing, I was in the moment. I was absorbing every bit of it. Um, if he gave me an altitude to hold and I was 50 feet off, I'd beat myself up because I expected myself to be a perfect pilot. And he yeah. quickly corrected me on that as well, too, by the way. He's like, no, 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 you're doing just fine. So Evan had a, had a good comment here of in the early lessons, I thought I was keeping the plane in the air only through the force of my own concentration. <laughs> Every lesson ended with a headache and a nap. Brian, you've said this before about, uh, what's the secret of, you know, handling an upset in a GA trainer plane? Just handling. let go. The, let the plane fly it. Oh Just, yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. Stop trying. So, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not resignation. It's actually the best thing to do. No, but um, yeah. I, I think that um, my experience in the early going was a little bit of kind of all the things that I'm hearing. Right. Cause it's all, it's so, there's so many highs and lows, you know, you can do something really simple and do it kind of well and, and feel really good five minutes in. And then something will happen 10 minutes in that fully deflates you and makes you feel like I'm never going to get this. And it's just the peaks and the valleys are just really intense. Um, you know, I think that you have to be, you know, this is something I've said a lot of times, but, uh, you know, and I'm trying to speak to things that are uniquely midlife. Um, we are not good at being terrible at things at this stage in our lives. At this stage in our lives, we have chosen pretty much exclusively to only do things that we're good at and or comfortable with by and large. And so to all of a sudden be out there hapless uh, is, uh, you know, just a real humbling and frustrating thing, you know, so um, I think that no one, I, I, I was not, I mean, I tried, but there's, there's not, it helps now that we, with all this camaraderie of listening to podcasts like this, I didn't have that, you know, yeah. uh, I was on my own. So I didn't have anything to relate it to. So I just kind of thought I was losing my mind. You know, you I, know? I was in the yes. exact same boat. I, yeah. I didn't, yes. aviation 101 was maybe, I, I was a, six months into training when I discovered that. Yeah. I, I was in this period of struggling to land at high 20 hour range when I finally started looking at YouTube to thinking that if I saw the site picture of landings on YouTube, maybe I'd start to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And it was after that, that I found the midlife world. But yeah. you know, that, that is what really helped me was being somebody in the chat. There's some great chat in here. If you're listening to the podcast version of it, but of everybody's experiences in this time range, but in the, in that early COVID period, somebody else was mentioning this. It was like, it was just you and your instructor. There was nobody at the airport. Yeah. There's no, there's no way to see a fellow student who's also, you know, sweaty and crying at the same time. If, so. if I could go back, I would say have more fun, you know, and not be so yes. hard on yourself. That's, yes. you know, so you realize that you're going to have those struggles. You're going to feel like you can't do it um, at times. And then you got to forgive yourself, learn how to have a short memory and, yeah. and get on with it. And then, uh, don't be so hard on yourself, yeah. you know, uh, because, uh, you're just not used to being terrible at stuff, but now you are, and then you'll figure it out. But, um, so we're going to, yeah. we're going to bring in somebody from the community who has a little bit of advice. We've got a couple more mini topics before we wrap this up to Excellent. talk about. And so let's bring in Nate here. This is Nate W oh, from, Nate. from SoCal, uh, on YouTube. He's known as cheapskate aviation. Well, cheapskate. Uh, I will uh, link his YouTube down in the, in the doobly-doo for that. But uh, so Nate, what, what you did a lot better than at least myself and definitely me pretty guessing. I know Ben for sure in the same way, which was preparing for each lesson, right? What did you, what did you do? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't, 
prepare as well as having a son 20 years in advance. So I, I'm kind of feeling inadequate now actually, but, um, <laughs> but I, that, I mean, as my YouTube channel implies cheap, cheap skating is, is kind of my, my niche here. And, um, I really wanted to, in order to save a lot of money, I wanted to make every lesson as effective as I could. Um, so, um, in terms of like before each lesson, um, I think one of the, I, there are a few things I did. One, I would always make sure I knew what our next lesson was going to be about. Right. Um, and which I didn't, and I, as a, what I didn't do that because okay. I, and, I didn't know they were going on a syllabus and that took longer because of that. Sure. And, and honestly, in a, some people talked about this, how they would have liked to have had more structure. And we also talked about how it's a, you want to have control over your training. Um, and I think I went perhaps to the extreme of having control over my training where I mostly knew what the next lesson was going to be about. Cause I was mostly the one deciding what the next lesson would be about. Um, which I think was, I think was very good to own your training. Sometimes I wonder if maybe I could have benefited by like letting my instructor lead a little more. Cause here I am thinking, well, I've, you know, I've watched every YouTube video about flight training and I've read all this stuff and I could be my own CFI. You're just here for legal reasons. Right. And, and obviously that's, that's not the case. Right. Um, I was a beginner just like everyone else, despite all the preparation. Um, but for, so go and take a step back. So I try to decide with the instructor at the end of each lesson, say like, okay, what are we going to cover next time? Um, and then I'd practice that in a simulator um, I would read, um, I try to study up on whatever I'm about to do. And, uh, I think probably what helped me even more is make sure that I reviewed the previous lesson once or twice on video. Um, so I recorded all my lessons and to me, I think the audio was the most important. So yeah. I would, uh, as I'm driving to the lesson, I'd usually be listening to the audio from my previous lesson. And then I try to, you know, listen to it once or twice between then sometimes in the shower you know, just like li listen whenever you can. Um, sometimes my wife didn't really like that when I'm up early and she's still sleeping and I'm like blasting ATC <laughs> audio in the bathroom. But uh, try to now, what did you do can. for your your radio skills were we'll get to this a bit, but your radio skills were, were good in the beginning. You you well, knew terminology. Was that all from uh, VATSIM? Um, so I didn't, I didn't do VATSIM um, or Pilot Edge. I, I tried VATSIM once and I couldn't figure it out. Um, but uh, there were, there was a lot I would do to practice. Um, so I, and, and and I'll admit, I I did a lot more in the early days than I did later because I think. Uh, I started thinking, wow, I'm, I'm good at radios. I don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> and then I kind of plateaued, but, but I would, uh, I just practice a lot during the day out loud. Um, when I'm driving, like before I pull out the driveway, I'd say, you know, Fox ground, this is Avalon one, two, three, request taxi <laughs> to the street, you know, or whatever. And I, and, uh, even sometimes just kind of thinking like, okay, I'm about to enter the highway. Let's, uh, let's get flight following on the highway or whatever. And then you're late for um, work and you tell your boss, I couldn't get a clearance. I, I got vectored all over the place. And yeah. yeah. Um, to study the phonetic alphabet, I just like, while I'm driving, if I see a sign, I'm just going to like say all the letters on the side phonetically yeah. and th just things like that. Just work it in throughout your day, say stuff. And, and uh, I did a little bit of that, but I also listened to live ATC uh, on, on the radio or put it through my Bluetooth in the, in the truck and listen to that. And just typically through osmosis, you start kind of picking up on the lingo, but I, I would do the same thing with the kids in the car. When I would be taking them to school, uh, I would be doing uh, radio chatter like that and they got a kick out of it. So I, I found live ATC wasn't the best because it tended to be just a lot more, you know, um, checking, you know, listening to approach type calls, not the, not the type of calls that I was going to be making as a private so pilot. I would, I would, listen to a, a PDK tower mm -hmm. when I was doing private and when I was doing interest instrument, I would do a Chattanooga approach or Birmingham approach. Cause I yeah. wanted to hear those, um, um, the, I have picking up the clearance and then the P tag. So I, to your point, but, but it, for, for VFR, right. For VFR, I would listen to the towers and, and 
get their lingo down. But to yeah. generalize this, I think what is important to sort of highlight to somebody that's just considering all of this and trying to get their heads around it is just to say, not only do you need to try to fly, you know, book three lessons a week or four to right. get two and hope that you get three, that's a time commitment unto itself. But I think even further, everything you're hearing you're all everybody say right now is basically you're living this, you're breathing it, you're right. practicing, you're chair flying, you're doing practice calls, you're driving your family crazy, you're doing all these things. Uh, and, uh, and so that's, if there's a ratio, it's probably, you know, four to five hours for of preparation and studying for every hour of flying or something, you know, it's, it's a, if you're doing it right, uh, that's what it, you know, but ultimately it's fun and then it's kind of it becomes an obsession. And then, you know, once you're addicted, it doesn't really feel like such a sacrifice. It's That's just exactly an imposition right. on everybody else in your life. Again, it's the, the whole point was to get those zero hour, hour pilots. And, you know, this is just kind of an intro as to, to, to what you're going to be facing. Well, hey, um, Nate, Nate, I wanted to say real quick, uh, um, if you had to, if you were to give somebody in the name of being cheapskate aviation, what would be the most specific thing that you could tell somebody that doesn't know what they don't know about how to save them? What, what has the, the most savings attached to it? What's the cheapest thing they can keep in mind? Sure. Yeah, I, I would say that <clears throat> the big thing is to focus on anything you can do to make your flying hours efficient. Because, you know, if you if you save $20 because you didn't have to buy a book, like, great, that's like, 10 minutes of flying. Right. So, you know, all the little things you can do, sure. They add up to a little bit, but uh, if you can just make sure that every single lesson is like getting you a a step closer um, to checking off boxes and and make sure that you're learning as much as you can every single minute, that's going to be the main thing to focus on. And one thing I just want to throw in there real quick too, is people get real. uh, I know, I know people that have not finished their training that went all crazy and bought Bose headsets and I don't know, like all the accoutrement and all the stuff. You don't need any of that stuff. You, like, you know, yeah. there's, there's gonna be a lot of people telling you, you need a lot of things and you don't, you really don't need almost anything to get, to yeah. really get deep into it. Yeah. I rewarded myself later by, by upgrading, you know, from a basic headset to, to something fancy, you know, right. it's like, you don't have to get that all day one. And yeah, and, and ben, you don't need to get anyway. ben started us yeah. off tonight telling us the joys of uh, wearing, going back to David Clark's with no ear covers. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> you gotta get, gotta ground yourself every now and then. I mean, you know. <laughs> um, do we want to do? We have a bag of yeah. words segment this week, don't we? Yeah, well, I think that was a word. good a good chat about uh, midlife flying one hundred and one. Uh, you know, ben and I were talking about this, and it's a great. Uh, you know, I think there's a couple of of you know, pods that we can have on the same topic, kind of getting a little further into it, but we really wanted to focus on that. You know, what do you do before you start flying and what do you do in those first hours and what to expect? So, and we're also not instructors, but yeah. So Uh, bag of words, uh, bag of words. Sorry, Brian, I messed that one up. Bag O words. And um, we have our friend Nate has uh, contributed to this effort. uh, I believe, do we have so, uh, so now all that talk about how I mastered radio, yeah. I lost, I'm losing all That's my right. credibility. <laughs> the opposite of everything I said. Nate, all it means is, is that not everybody's perfect, that we all make mistakes. That's it. Even, uh, even Nate. Yes. Even Nate makes even a mistake Nate. every now and then, not yes. that often. All right. Uh, do you want to, uh, uh, do you have any context for this? You want to roll into it, Nate? Sure. Yeah. So this is on, I think it was my fourth flight lesson. So it's pretty early on. And uh, usually after landing at, at Fox airfield, they almost never transfer you over to ground. So they, they said, you know, usually just say the taxi, this frequency to fuel or whatever. Well, on a previous flight, my instructor told my instructor was handling the radio and he said, Oh yeah, we'll take alpha four or whatever. So I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I should tell them like what taxiway I'm going to take. Uh, only problem is I had no idea like what taxiway was next. So I started like trying to say, I'm like, Oh, we'll take, um, 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 uh, and it was, I just said something completely like unintelligible. All right. But, let's, let's show that. Cherokee three West Papa taxi to parking this frequency. Uh, we'll take a, uh, I think I'm going <laughs> uh, 
we'll take off for Thanks, Commander. That was embarrassing. Just taxi via. Taxi with this frequency is all you gotta say. Alright. Okay, number three whiskey pop second. Taxi this frequency. Taxi this frequency, three whiskey pop. <laughs> I, I love say again. Basically, what was that? How could you? Yeah, I I with you? How could you not hear that the first time? I was yeah. so clear. <laughs> like I said, that's right. Yeah. yeah. My favorite thing about that is how you tried to to uh, you you did a pretty good job. It wasn't good enough, or actually, you may just you oversold it a little bit. But you kind of just went into the amb- ambiguous, you know, sort of yeah. speech. And just thought that it would kind of just float through into sort of like a. It, it like sounded a, like like a response. There were no words in it, but the, but yeah. the shape of it was was correct. Instead of yeah, a which word to be fair, half the radio too. calls you listen to, you can't oh, pick sure. out the individual. Can we listen words, to it again? So. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's roll into that again. Cherokee three West Papa taxi to parking this frequency. We'll take a. Uh, dang, I'm going. <laughs> uh, we'll take Alpha. Three whiskey Papa. That was embarrassing. Just taxi via. Taxi with this frequency is all you gotta say. All right. Okay, number three whiskey Papa second. Taxi this frequency. Taxi this frequency. Three whiskey Papa. <laughs> yeah, and that, that take Alpha four to me sounded like take off four something. And yeah, <laughs> that's so good. I just Holy. I just love how you just try to be like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It almost sounded like the air pump hot, and we'll be taking off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's it's so relatable though. I, I now when I get a, a call like that, you know, where it's like, oh, you give me a taxi instruction. I've got my hands full taxing to the runway or landing. I've had both of those, and now it's like, yeah, no, I'll come back to me with that, yeah. right? It's, I know I'm not going to remember this. So. What I love about it is you had a smile on your face. The people in the audio podcast are, this is primarily audio and they're not going to be able to see that video. Your expression is like a kid having the, at the fair, right? Like you're having the best time just failing miserably at whatever you're doing. <laughs> and, and, uh, at least for that moment. And, and that's what I draw from it is like, wow, what a perfect example of kind of what I wish I would have embodied when I was at that stage, you know, cause I was just hard on myself, you know? So to see you taking it so well and having fun with it and uh, all that, you know, I think that's the ultimate reminder for everybody on all fronts for everything is the reason why you do all this financial hardship and sacrifice and time and energy and hurting your brain and doing all this stuff is because it's fun. So uh, that's what I love about it most. Absolutely. And so uh, this is uh, the time to remind everybody, if you have a a moment uh, of clarity there or not clarity on the radio, give us a shout. Let us know about it. Um, we'll, we'll bring you on if you want to explain yourself or defend yourself, however you want to position it. <laughs> How do I get my bad radio work to you guys, Ben? Yeah, well, that's what I was about to get to. Oh, sorry, sorry. You can email us at midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us your bag of words. You could send us your feedback, your thoughts, poetry. If you want to invite to the Discord, we'd love for you to join us. We'll, we'll uh, take care of you there. But, uh, yeah, hit us up. Let us know. So, uh, Nate, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Oh, thank you. Good to see you. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're, um, for the audio listeners, please feel free to join us live on YouTube Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern. YouTube.com slash at Midlife Pilot Podcast. Uh, what are we leaving out, Brian? What am I forgetting? Um, the link for our Spotify support page is in the description anywhere that you're consuming this most likely or will be. Um, but it is a way for you to directly support the effort of this podcast. There are some costs associated to it other than just, uh, your souls. And, um, and so you can click on this link and you can very easily give us 99 cents a month. Uh, you know, look, I'm not trying to make this like some Sally Struthers thing, you know, but, um, but kind of, kind of that, um, no, um, but 99 cents a month, uh, will go a long way. And if we could get, you know, even 5% of our listeners to, to do that, it would really help us, uh, to, 
invest in, you know, infrastructure or things or, uh, or just get wasted or whatever it is that we want to do. Um, and we're so, putting this yeah. out weekly. We're putting it out weekly. So that's about yeah, 24 cents an hour. Weekly. Yeah. yeah. So that would be the only other thing I can think of that we're leaving out is that you can support us yep. monthly and that that link is in there. And then otherwise just, if you can't do that or, you know, whatever, um, share it, um, put it places, um, let your friends know. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't like it, uh, and you don't want to share it, totally understand, but why are you still here? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And uh, leave us a review, uh, on whatever device you're listening to us on, whatever one, Spotify, iTunes, uh, we would appreciate a five-star review. So as, as our friends say, it's actually not possible to leave less than a five-star review in there. So make sure that it's five stars or it won't be accepted. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at that. This Todd is- Stouffer did the math. It's 24.75 cents per episode. Wow. Per pod. That's about 24 cents an hour. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So this has been episode 42 and on 43, uh, I think what we're going to talk about is cross-country planning. We're going to make a little cross-country planning 101. Not going to try and cover everything, but just enough to get you started uh, as a newer pilot when you're thinking, I've only been, you know, the minimum number of of miles away from my, from my airport. Yeah. How do I, how do I spend a weekend away? How do I go? 250, 300 miles. How do you, how do you do the thing that is the whole reason you did the whole thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Got the midlife taken care of and I will take care of the flying part of it. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Well, thanks guys for potting with us tonight. Uh, and to the five, the, the viewers on YouTube, thanks for joining us tonight and we will uh, see you next week. Good night, everybody. Thanks y'all. Thanks all. Thanks all.